One million percent. I mean, just because someone doesn't have an oppressive traumatic event doesn't mean they can't observationally learn from someone else's experience. The same thing has been what I've been communicating in our past podcast through indirect or observational learning where you just made me aware of what this small change can do. I was motivated at first, but it was more inspired, right? Like I was inspired to take action to make that change. And I had thought about touching base with you ahead of this because I did not succeed as well as I had in the past with my previous two challenges. And I thought I let Josh down, but really I just kind of let myself and the environment down. And so I thought, oh, you know, maybe I should just give him the heads up and say I didn't succeed. But, you know, me not showing up in my fullest, truest, rawest, vulnerable form wouldn't be leadership. It wouldn't reflect what this podcast initiative and mission is about. And so I, as tough as it is for me to say that I failed, meaning I didn't completely succeed, you know, I showed up, especially with the environment. That's part of it, right? Like showing up to the recycling event with your recyclables, showing up with your reusable bags. My continued use of that is going to have a ripple effect. I'm just a pebble, but in the ocean, maybe that ripple is going to touch other lives. Hi, this is Joshua Spodek, and this is Leadership in the Environment. You're not the only one who cares about your impact enough to act. You're part of a global community undeterred by people saying, if others don't change first, then what I do doesn't matter, and other excuses. We've read the science. We can do this. This show is about personal responsibility, acting, and improving your life by your values. As guest after guest says, the challenge was hard, but thank you for getting me to do it. I wish I'd done it earlier. Listen on for leaders to inspire you, hear their struggles, and then act. Go to joshuaspodick.com slash podcast to commit to a public, personal challenge of your own. You're not alone, and you don't have to wait for others. In episode three, we hear how Tanner kept going. He kept going until he hit a challenge that took serious effort. In his case, he moved past doing things on his own to influencing others, and they're not under his control. So it's a whole new set of challenges in leading other people. I should also mention, he gave his TEDx talk between episode two and three, and he shares the behind-the-scenes perspective of a blind person standing close to the edge of a stage. So we'll all have to watch it when he or when the TEDx people post it. Notice that the more that he takes on these challenges, I hear, the more he likes it, even as they get harder. You can expect that when you take on your challenge, the more that you will love it too. Then you also hear him interacting with others and leading them with a vision for changing culture, not just changing one person here or there. I didn't come up with that. He did. He's not doing something he doesn't want. As I hear it, he's doing things he really likes. On another note, I want to point out that I created this podcast to create leaders. I'm happy for people to follow and improve their environmental impact by their standards, but I want to create leaders, people who, after changing themselves, taking on their own personal challenge, lead others. Because addressing global warming, pollution, extinctions, resource depletions, and so on, that means changing billions of people's behavior. You can reach people that I can't. There's room for as many leaders as want to act here. If you're listening to a podcast called Leadership and the Environment, I anticipate that leadership is something you care about. When you listen to Tanner, consider how you can lead and love what you do as much as anyone, because we can sure use it.
So I hope when you listen to it, think to yourself, how can I follow in his footsteps? How can I start with something small and see where it leads and see if you won't also love taking on big challenges as well. And so people know we've been connected for about three seconds. No one's missed anything. <laughs> so let me apologize really quick because my internet has been down since today's Friday. It's been down since last Thursday, not yesterday, but last Thursday. And it is not going to be up until Monday evening. So I am out here at my apartment complex on their Wi-Fi. They were so nice to grant me access to their secure network. So I apologize for the extraneous background. Thanks for explaining. No problem. Actually, you reminded me of someone who I interviewed yesterday for a second conversation. And he was remarkably unaware of how his behavior affected the environment. And so his challenge was to use his cell phone half as much as he was before, in particular, half as much data. And you might say, that's really like in terms of power use, that's very little. I mean, cell phones don't use that much. And right. there's a bit of a stretch for me to say, okay, for that one. But I'm here to support the people, not evaluate what they're doing. And technically, it is lowering your environmental stuff. And he had the, one of the more, how do I put it, more extreme? No, one of the more meaningful experiences. He actually broke his phone, so couldn't use it. And so had an easy time of doing it, but it really changed his behavior more than he expected. Hmm. He started connecting with his wife more. He started going outdoors more, going to the beach more, and all the stuff that like he didn't expect. And it's making major changes. So this change for you fits in with at least one other person had a major change, little thing. And he's going on, he's got a third one too, a third. Yeah, I would love to hear about, you know, the effect that being glued to your electronic devices, how that, you know, sucking up the power, the, the power grid resources, you know, because that power has got to be generated somehow, probably not the renewable sources or generation, you know, how that affects things in the long term. But yeah, I mean, I totally can relate to that because, you know, we don't watch regular TV as it were, right? We don't watch the local channels. We don't watch the news. We don't watch cable television. We will watch Netflix, you know, and it's primarily for dinner. You know, like while we're eating dinner, we'll watch Netflix and we like to watch a comedic show, you know, just kind of laugh. And yeah, so it has completely changed our dinner behavior because now we're engaging more in-depth conversations about our days and, you know, the, the post-dinner, right, when we're letting our food digest, the post-dinner conversation continues, right, instead of waiting for the show to end. So that's interesting. Yeah, I think that that's the goal of this podcast is my experience doing things to reduce my impact on the environment was really stopping doing things. And it's totally that doesn't represent what's happening. What represents what's happening is people connecting with each other, living by values and things like that and discovering more that was always there. Yeah, totally. And in, in my motivational talks that what you just said resonates with me because, you know, one of the things I say is the superhero inside me is inside you, right? Like did, could blind people read before Braille was invented? Like that was already inside them. The capacity to do so was there. Could deaf people speak, could they communicate before sign language was invented? That was already there. It just kind of took a breakthrough or a change, a shift in order for us to discover um, that greatness inside of us. And, and I couldn't agree more, like that shift in behavior change can really allow one's perspective to open up on something that was already inside of it. 
Yeah, for me, in my book, I talk a lot about the books, Mark Zupan's Gimp and Jean-Dominique Bobby's uh, Diving Bell and the Butterfly and yep. Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. People look sure. at these and I think they find these people inspirational. Now, most people, they'll say inspirational, but they don't actually behave any different. But to me, these people were not superhuman. They're human. They didn't do stuff anyone else couldn't do. It revealed something that anyone can do. And that's the big thing. And I think a lot of people look at others and say, oh, look at Tanner. He suffered some problem and he had to rise above. I didn't have a problem, so I was not able to rise above. Bullshit. <laughs> you don't need a disaster to reveal what's already there. The challenge is to you know, take it on. And I think the environment is a place, to, just to bring it back to you know, the leadership in the environment, the environment is a place where you can care and you can act on things that you don't have to, even if you don't have some problem because this is affecting everyone. Everyone breathes the air. Everyone drinks the water. Well, one million percent. I mean, we can just because someone doesn't have uh, an, an oppressive traumatic event doesn't mean they can't observationally learn from someone else's experience. The same thing has been what I've been communicating in our past podcast, which how I, you know, it resonated so well with me was through you know indirect or observational learning where you just made me aware of what this small thing this small change can do. And that's then, then, you know, I was motivated at first, but it was more inspired, right? Like I was inspired to take action to make that change. And, you know, I thought about touching base with you ahead of this because I did not succeed as well as I had in the past with my previous two challenges. And I thought, oh man, like, you know, I let Josh down, but really I just kind of let myself and the environment down. And so I thought, oh, you know, maybe I should just give him the heads up and say I didn't succeed. But, you know, me not showing up in my fullest, truest, rawest, vulnerable form um, wouldn't be leadership. It wouldn't reflect what this podcast initiative and mission is about. As tough as it is for me to say that I failed, meaning I didn't completely succeed, you know, I, you know, I showed up. And uh, especially with the environment, that's part of it, right? Like showing up to the recycling bin with your recyclables, showing up with your, your bags, you know, your reusable bags. I was happy to find out, though, that both Sprouts nearby and Safeway, I don't know if you guys have those in the Northeast, uh, Sprouts is kind of like a lesser expensive Whole Foods, and Safeway is kind of like a Kroger or a Fry's or another restaurant chain that's just like a typical grocery store both Safeway and Sprouts upon my questioning did do sell bags at their locations and Sprouts even will add them on to the bill when you're checking out and so you can get them right then and there unfortunately they were sold out which means that that's a great that they're selling them but I didn't take the initiative to take the time out of my day to go to the customer service, talk to the manager and, you know, push like, Hey, like, I'm so glad that you guys offer these at the register. I'm so glad that you're sold out right now. But what if I wanted to buy these bags? Like, what can we do? What kind of processes can we put into place to make sure that we don't run out of bags? Like you wouldn't run out of plastic bags, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, would- that's a great point. I apologize for interrupting you, but I'm going to take this moment of high tension and pause for a bit so that listeners are going to have to wait a second because I got to show you off 
and I'm very interested between last time and this time, you've done a TEDx talk, right? Yes. I want to hear about that. (laughs) (laughs) So I do want to hear about the bags and I do want to hear about this failure. And from the listener's perspective, I think a lot of them want to hear the failures as much as they want to hear the successes because they know that they're going to have their failures too. And they don't want, no one wants to hear like Tanner did this, Tanner did that. Tanner's awesome. Tanner's awesome. I mean, they do want to hear that, but First, let's hear how awesome you are giving this talk. Is that, I don't know, maybe you like tripped and fell and it went a disaster. I don't know, but I suspect it went awesome. Yeah, there were some definite wins and definite losses. And when I say losses, like anything sub 100% is somewhat of a loss, right? It was a big W overall. I probably executed at 96 or 97% of my potential to make it perfect. If anybody's familiar with these TEDx talks, there's basically this circular carpet that the speakers stand in. And I was highly nervous about that because I like to move around when I talk. And I thought to myself, if I'm using the edge of the circle to face the audience, if I turn slightly a little bit, how am I going to, you know, the front of the circle could be three o'clock. It could be nine o'clock. You know, eventually I could work my way to six o'clock where the audience is positioned at 12 o'clock. And so what I was doing was using the front of the stage the edge of the stage as my guide. And so people in the audience who knew me were highly nervous because they don't travel with me when on, I'm at speaking events. So they don't know that I'm very comfortable literally walking with half of my feet off the stage. Oh, so you're, like, you're like standing on the edge, really at the edge of like your, your toes are air underneath them? Correct. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, I can and see why people might be nervous. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the front row seats probably like 10 feet away from the, the edge. And it was, it was a packed house. So there's this one moment in the talk where I do this kicking motion. And I say, this might seem like my dad was kicking me while I'm down. Uh-huh. <laughs> and my really good friend and his wife were there. And he like, ah! he like, <laughs> <laughs> he jumps back and uh, he tries to like, uh, you know, his wife was making fun of him. He tried to play it off like uh, he was just, you know, had the jitters or, you know, he was cold or something. But uh, yeah, so that was, uh, but, you know, so here's why I thought that verbally the talk went really well, like me delivering the message. I thought that offered out a hitch, but I might have been off center a little bit from the, the camera. The venue was a very high end members only country club and apparently no one told the kitchen which was right through the wall that seemed to be made of construction paper (laughs) that we were uh doing a tedx event so there was multiple loud noises that went on something sounded like it literally crashed in the back of the audience and um you know, but like a pro, you just keep going. Yeah. And so that was the only thing is that I think I could have been a little bit more centered for the camera. I was paying a little bit too much attention to my right side or the uh, the left side of the audience if they're looking at me side of the room. But I mean, it was amazing. I had, uh, I felt dressed really nice. I felt uh, casual, comfortable. I really feel like I executed almost to the, the highest level of my potential. So it was fantastic. Awesome. Listeners can probably click there now. When do I get to see it? Well, you know, as soon as the event organizers, AD, post-production team puts it together, puts the final edits on it, and submits it to the TEDx people or TED, then 
we'll all get to see. I haven't even seen it myself. So yeah, I mean, I can, uh, I've got the day before National Speakers Association headquarters, national headquarters are here in the Phoenix area. And they asked me to come in and speak. I didn't have the full um, talk, but I did do half of it. And I got that, uh, my wife recorded that on video and very similar in delivery. I mean, almost exactly the same. I'm just wearing different clothes. So if you want, I can shoot over a private uh, YouTube link so you can, if you want to post it on your site or whatever, or just check it out. I'd love to see it. And uh, yeah, I mean, we're recording this in September, so but it'll get released much later. So listeners will get to see it right away. So I'm not getting any secret access that they don't get. Because in my podcast, the listeners come first, but this is going to be way later from then now. Okay, cool. Yeah, so I'll shoot that over when we get done with this. And yeah, but I love how you pivoted at that, you know, that really tight, high tension moment. That was a pro. That was a pro move right there. (laughs) Always been wanting more. I think uh, (laughs) the, yeah, it'd be funny. Okay, so great. We heard about the TED Talk and you had a failure. All right, well, let's talk again later. Until next time. Yeah. So, okay. So now let's review the, the goal was to set up a program if possible with yeah. these places in order to, what was your plan and what, what are so, the facts? Yeah. So the facts were that I committed to reaching out to the local. So I got, I get excited, you know, I dive in. So I originally committed to going to one grocery store in my area and making sure that they had, you know, bags reusable bags to replace plastic bags and offer those at the register where the cashier would actively promote the users, uh, the customers who did not have bags, did not bring bags with them, would actively sell those bags at the register in an effort to reduce a waste and use of plastics, uh, plastic bags specifically. So my goal was to touch base with one of those grocery stores and execute that, set that up. And then as I talked more and more about it, I was like, oh, but this grocery store is right here and this grocery store is right here. So it's like four grocery stores Uh that are right near me. And I was like, I can do those. And I ended up going to two since we last talked, Sprouts and Safeway. And Sprouts and Safeway, they're closest to my house. And both Sprouts and Safeway confirmed that they do sell the bags at the store and Sprouts confirmed that they actually even sell the bags from the register. So setting up, you know, it was just like the balls teed up for me to drive it down the fairway for me to get them, persuade them, lead them to make a difference and be environmentally conscious by actively asking people who don't bring their own bags to sell them at the register, as you would experience when someone says, hey, do you want to donate a dollar to this? Or you want to donate proceeds? To, you know, do you want to donate to that charity? So it would basically being a donation to the earth. Uh-huh. <laughs> so what's the failure? I mean, you found out that it's already happening. Well, they're not actively, because, you know, I've lived here since 2014, and not one time have I ever been asked to buy the bags. Uh, oh, so you want to make them more active about doing it. I want to shift the culture the corporate culture. I mean, in the long term, wouldn't it be great if the entire corporate culture shifts and that's what they do for every single person who doesn't have the bags at the register? Like, what kind of awesome media attention would that bring to them? What kind of awesome new customers and clientele would people come out of their way to go to an environmentally conscious organization like that who takes a stand and saying, hey, this is our culture. This is what we stand for. This is what we do. Do you want to join us? 
Yeah, I want to have corporal punishment for people who don't bring their own bags. <laughs> <laughs> That'll get you some press. Mm, uh, what do you think? Lethal injection or hang, maybe hanging? Yeah, what just like a, something that lightly bruises. <laughs> oh. <laughs> maybe, uh, you know, four Chinese finger traps. Yeah, not capital punishment. Just a little something to get you to think twice. Okay, okay. Now I got to say, because once it's on the internet, it doesn't go away. So I'm not serious. I don't really want corporal punishment for people now who don't bring their own bags. <laughs> right. Joshua Spodek stands for, his message is, is you're killing the earth. We're going to kill you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm completely kidding. So those are the facts of what happened. What, so how did you feel? Like, what was the emotional reaction? Was it like futility or giving up or re- Well, I felt like I let you down. I felt like I let myself down. I felt like I let the purpose down. I felt like I let the environment down. And especially when it was so like low hanging fruit. You know, I think that we often do that, right? When we get so close to a goal and we see the end zone, you know, when we're on the five yard line and all we got to do is just push a little bit further and score. And sometimes in life, not necessarily in a game, but sometimes in life, we just stop pushing. And I think that's what happened right there. Feeling inspired? Do you like hearing others acting that you're not alone? Go to joshuaspodek.com slash podcast to hear other interviews, but even more valuable. Join the growing community of people who care enough to act, not just talk. Read the list of people who have taken on personal challenges and then commit to one yourself. Don't be surprised if you end up loving it, changing more, and finding people following you without you even trying. That's what happens when you improve your life by living by your values. All right. So people don't like to let others down. Does that mean you feel bad? Do you wish you hadn't done this? Oh, I totally feel bad. I feel horrible about it. So do you wish you hadn't done it? I wish I would have prioritized my time better and sacrificed whatever was going on when we were at the grocery store on those two different days to follow up and uh, get the conversation started. Because even if it's just the conversation getting started, to me, that's progress. Like if, if I would have had that conversation, they're like, oh, we can't do that. Oh, we got to like, we got to run that up to, you know, corporate or blah, blah, blah. You know, at least the message is being communicated that this is what our customers want. And, um, you know, it's uh, wars are not won in a single day. It sounds like when I was younger, I see a girl and I want to go approach her and then I don't. And after I'm like, oh, I can't believe I, I at least should have tried. I at least should have said something. And then you walk away and you're like, oh, why didn't I say it? Why didn't I do something? Totally. It's kind of like that. Exactly like that. All right. Well, you said wars. It's not a, all right, there's, wars aren't won or lost by single battles. So is this the end of the story or, or, or what? It's totally the end. I have totalized myself. I'm in my shell. I don't know if I'm coming out. I'll let you keep going. <laughs> no, that was it. Yeah, of course I'm going to keep going. It's going to be something that, I'm, like, again, I make a priority. I think th- this conversation, right, like having the decency to step up and say, like, hey, I did this wrong. Like, I could have done this better, I think is like the first step, right? And so the next step is to just do it. We had talked about last time that, you know, maybe inside of me, there was a little bit of this going on. We had talked about last time that we are inherently instinctually averse to social influences and norms of, you know, what's acceptable. And while you and I both logically know that what I am going to do, what I attempted to do is acceptable and should be done across the globe. I was still at some deep core level, I think maybe a little embarrassed to do it. And the only way to beat 
fear down or any derivation of that embarrassment, you know, asking a girl out, shyness, whatever you want to label it as, any derivation of fear, the only way to beat that, run through that is with reps, repetitions. Practice, yeah. Yep. You got to drill down. Yeah, yeah, sometimes doing a simpler version. I mean, for me, it's like how to, the best way to solve a hard problem is to solve an easier problem. Keep developing the skills, keep developing the skills, and then apply what you learn with the easy one to the harder one, and then the harder one won't be as hard. Yes. Yeah, a million percent. Yeah, I mean, before you can do a burpee, you got to be able to do a push-up. Yeah, and actually, you know, when I first started doing, before the Leadership in the Environment podcast, I have access to lots of graduates of my courses. So I started doing, I was like, all right, we need a Martin Luther King, we need Nelson Mandela. How do they get the message out? They give big speeches. So I'm going to give speeches to like dozens of people. And I hadn't yet influenced one person. And here I'm trying to influence dozens of people. And that was a a mistake or it was, you know, I bit off more than I could chew. And so I had to go back. I was like, I'm failing. I'm talking to all these people. I'm stepping on all these emotionally intense landmines, people pushing back and saying, Josh, blah, blah, you know, you can't tell us what to do and stuff like that. And then I said, this isn't, I, I haven't even influenced one person and I'm trying to lead dozens I got to go back. Let's do one-on-one. And I did one-on-one. And then one big change happened when one of my past students took it on himself to take my personal challenge. One of my personal challenges is to pick up a piece of trash every day and put it in the trash can or recycling bin, which sadly, I usually don't even have to cross the street leaving my apartment in New York to find trash, sadly. Anyway, he took it upon himself to pick up 10 pieces of trash per day for a month. And then he went through this great transformation, great meaning meaningful and big. And much bigger than I expected. And that got me to say, all right, let's do one-on-one for a while. And that led to the podcast. So sorry for the long stuff, but like, yeah, I bit off more than I could chew. I felt like I failed. I felt like, you know, somewhere there's a blog post of mine that says I'm not a total failure. When I found out that I, like, I thought I hadn't influenced one person at all. And a few people told me, actually, you had influenced us, but you, I forget if I told you this before. We had changed our behavior, but we didn't tell you. Right. Yeah, I mean, you, you never truly fail unless you truly and ultimately decide to just give up, right? And so we, you know, in every single moment, we've always got the choice. Like the, the things that we don't have choices over is that like our heart will be and that our lungs will breathe. But, you know, we have choices over our voluntary actions. And even though we're scared to make those voluntary actions or maybe even just communicate our uh, doing them, you know, like those individuals didn't share with you that they were already doing it. Isn't that what leadership is, is doing something and and just doing it, doing it to do it and not, you know, not to talk about it, not to gloat about it, not to, you know, leading by example, right? Yeah. And that's why one of the reasons I picked leadership in the environment, partly because I care about it. I mean, my study of science began with an appreciation of nature. And to me, the physics degree is not about hard equations and working in the lab, although it is that. It's really about finding more and more beauty in nature. For me, that's like the biggest thing. But I think everybody cares about nature. Everybody wants clean air, clean water. And of all the places where you can learn these skills of how to, let's call it leadership skills, and all the social, emotional skills, experiences, and beliefs underneath that, you can learn them in different areas. I learned them in entrepreneurship. I learned them in business. I learned them in relationships with girls, with family. I think one place where we can learn all these things is with respect to the environment, because it's so much about changing your own behavior, influencing others around you. And of course, I feel there's also an urgent need. I think we don't have as much time as people think we do. And I don't think people get like the straits that we're in. So that motivates me. But it's also a place where I think anyone can do what you're doing, what I'm doing to help impact the environment less, meaning influence each other more compassionately, more empathetically, because the environment is, it's not just 
an abstract thing. It's we all live in it. We all breathe the same air and all the same water. And I think this is a place where we can all learn leadership skills, self-awareness, empathy, compassion, how to create meaning and value and purpose and importance, how to take initiative, how to take responsibility. All of these things apply in this area and we can all learn them here. That's why I picked this area to like stake my, put my stake in the ground and work on. And, you know, entrepreneurship not everyone goes for, business not everyone goes for, religion not everyone goes for. But I think the environment ties us all together, literally and figuratively. Yeah. It makes me think you just said something, a couple things that made me think of these couple things. And I'm sure you're aware of the second one, but maybe the first is I am taking a break from nonfiction. I, you know, primarily only read nonfiction. And I'm reading Stephen Pressfield's The Virtues of War, a novel about Alexander the Great. And it's, you know, it's completely fictional, but I'm just got done with this epic battle scene and where the Alexander's army is taking over the Persians and, you know, running off the king, the Persian king. And it was like, you know, 200,000 to 40,000, you know, the Persians versus Alexander's army. And, you know, Alexander's army ends up winning and then they like basically pillage this town and soil the legacy that that day was. And it kind of made me think about the ownership and the responsibility and the labeling and making aware of behaviors as such with those, I'm sure you're familiar with the second part where there's that France-sized piece of trash in our ocean that a group is trying to identify it and claim it now as a country and have like even made its own stamps. And are you familiar with this? Yeah. How the, uh, the Pacific gyres are producing this. It's not like you can't walk on it. There's like, and I think there's more than one, I think several where, and I heard Texas size, but I'm sure it's grown since then. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, mentions that in 2050, they project that there's going to be more plastic in the ocean than fish. By me. Right. I saw that in that article too. And so it's like, you know, so we're, we're making these great innovations right here on earth or we're making these huge breakthroughs like Alexander's army did, you know, overcoming these amazing things. And yet uh, we can just so easily in the wake of all this greatness, this innovation and this growth and these advancements, just soil the thing that we, you know, the essence of what we've just done. And yeah, so when you were talking about that, it made me think of those two things, how we can just when we're not aware of the damage that we're causing, when we're not aware of the impact that we're having, it's really easy to just kind of turn a blind eye and, um, you know, dump it in the ocean where no one's hanging out. And beyond being aware, we can be aware and still keep doing what we're doing, which is why I think it has to be a big component of it. Not only because that's what has an effect on global warming or pollution and extinctions and things like that. Also, that's where we get our experiences from. Awareness alone, have I said to you the thing about uh, if you're interviewing from a, someone for a job and they talk about awareness? No, I don't think so. I keep talking to people about the environment and they say, you know, I'm becoming more and more aware all the time or they'll say that they're very aware. Now, I could push on them and I don't think that they're as aware as, aware as they think they are. But oh, of what I usually say is imagine you're interviewing someone for a job and you say, all right, for this position, we, we need someone who has at least five years experience, I don't know, programming in C. And you say, do you have five years of experience? And they say, well, I don't have experience, but I have five years of awareness of C. <laughs> right? It's a joke. Say you're going to have surgery. And you say to the surgeon, I want to make sure that before you do the surgery on me, 
that uh, you have experience. How many surgeries have you, do you have experience doing this? And they say, well, I have awareness of this procedure, but I've never actually done it. You're like, next, please. I'm not going to have you on me. <laughs> all these people are like, I'm aware. I'm like, yeah, awareness, the greenhouse effect, pollution doesn't matter. It doesn't ask you if you're aware. It depends on, you know, let's say, let's pick the greenhouse effect of one thing in the environment. If you, it, it depends on greenhouse gas level which results from our behavior, not from our awareness. Or right. Awareness is nice, but if you stop there, or even less, if you use that as a target and you get to 90 or 80 or 70% of that and think, well, that's a passing grade, you miss the point. And you know, leadership is much more about integrity. I mean, to me, leadership is integrity and follow through. You know, leadership, they don't just talk about it, they deliver. So I don't know, for me, it's a big, if people treat, people believe that they treat awareness as a milestone, but I believe that they usually actually treat it as a target and are satisfied with even partial achievement of that target. Whereas it's, if it's actually a milestone, I'm like, great, let's keep going. Once you get awareness, you keep going. But I think a lot of people are like, I got 90% awareness. I got, that's like an A, right? Not 90% because a lot of leadership is belief. And I want to make sure that to me, the belief that awareness is a nice stepping stone, but only if it's just a stepping stone, not the target. I wonder if like when you were describing that, I was like, I wonder if we could dumb it down like even more or make it more relevant, right? Because someone who hasn't had a surgery or doesn't really have medical issues, you know, they can like see, they can conceive like how like, oh yeah, you really want to have someone who has experience on awareness of surgery. What if you were like, <laughs> what if you were like, yeah, I'm aware of the internet and Google and email, but phew, I've got no experience in that. Like how silly would one sound? How on the cutting edge? Like, hey, why don't you pick up the phone? You know what? I'm aware, yeah, but uh, I've got no experience using it. Yeah. So awareness is nice. Yes, I'm not opposed to awareness. I'm opposed to stopping at awareness. <laughs> I'm aware of grocery stores, but well, yeah, that's funny. Yeah. If you're Go aware ahead. of hunger, I mean, you want to eat. <laughs> right. You stop it. Like, oh, I'm aware that I'm hungry. Or I'm aware that there's food over there. <laughs> I love it. That's even better. Yeah, so, you better you better stop the hunger. You better eat something. Yeah. All right. So I want to shift a little bit away from the bags in the store. Is it spread into other parts of your life? And if so, how? And other relationships or things like that? I think that it will over time. You know, the these little things over time add up to big differences. I can't remember if we had talked about it, but like the more that I have started talking about this term, this thing that I call the karmatic effect. And the karmatic effect is basically just the good juju, the good karma, the goodness coming back to me that the universe is sending back to me because of my prolonged, overtime, long-term decision to provide as much value and give as much as I can of myself to other people, despite the priorities that I've identified for myself to achieve today. And I do that because I'm only one person, but... The influence that I can have on someone else's life and the influence and in, in my giving to them will hopefully be contagious and contage them to give to others and provide value to others. And so we experience this domino effect of giving and value. And so I feel like I'm experiencing this karmatic effect in my life and my business right now where so much is coming at me so fast and bringing it back to the environment you know, the more that I start to use bags, you know, the more that I start to recycle or continue to recycle, the more that people see this behavior in me, 
And the more influential that I'm become, the more lives that I touch and the more contagious that behavior is going to become. We all look to people. We all look up to people and we emulate their behaviors. We try to replicate their success. We observe them and mimic them and in attempt to be more like them. And I think that my continued use of that is going to have a ripple effect. Uh, I'm just a pebble, but in the ocean, maybe that ripple is going to touch other lives. So that's what I think right now. You know, I, I think about, you know, we had talked previously about my getting an electric car and we didn't weigh in on the alternative, you know, it's like, okay, it's electric. So it's not putting out like carbon emissions, but what about the carbon emissions that were created to generate that power? Mm-hmm. You know, so is it the chicken or is it the egg? And other, so, you know, my intention is to continue experientially, not just becoming aware of these behavior changes, but experiencing and applying these changes into my life. And then knowing that as I see this karmatic effect coming back to me, knowing that that will also carry over my behavior change in my own life will hopefully influence and a paradigm shift or behavior change in someone else's. You know, this reinforces a perspective that I've been picking up lately and listeners have probably heard me say it a couple times before, but that uh, to do little things, when people say, here's like 10 little tips that you could do, it implies that people don't want to do it. But you're saying, I think you're yeah. saying you want bigger changes because when you know that a change is going to improve your life, you don't want a little change. You want a big change. I don't right. want little improvements. I want big improvements. Right. And I feel like you've made that shift. Like your awareness is at a certain level, but there's a lot more that you could find out. And if there's some scientist saying, here's the doom and gloom and stuff like that, like you better, or if there's some journalist saying, you got to do this, you got to do that or something like that. That's not as effective, I think. Maybe that's effective with some people. And I'm trying to affect, I believe that there are a lot of people who are like, once they get the feeling that this change improved my life, I want more changes. I want to discover more. Because before I stopped flying or before I stopped getting packaged food, the idea of cooking from scratch was really complicated to me. Now the yeah. idea of cooking from scratch is it's like incredibly delicious and convenient and I get to eat so much and not, and, and still like lose body fat, which is, you know, what I enjoy. And so I want to yeah. have more changes like that. I'm sure there are a lot of people listening who are thinking, yeah, maybe I'll do this. I'm not really sure. I guess my friend did. I'm not, I, I want to set up a context where people see lots of people changing, such as yourself, you know, influential people. And yes, failing, but a lot of people know. I think the more successful you are, the more you know that you can't stop failure from happening. You can't stop things. You can't make sure everything goes your way. You can't stop unforeseen things from happening. It's not whether they happen or not. It's how you recover from them, what you do about it, what you, right. you resiliently stick to it, or you know, maybe you have to do something different, but you, know, you don't just give up. And I hope that people, if they're listening and they haven't done anything, that they feel like it's an opportunity this is like you get to join the club of Tanner. You get to join the club of people who enjoy this stuff. And then the more that you do it, the more you want to do it. Yeah. You know, it's like uh, in the psychology class that I'm taking right now, we're talking about the reason why people would take action. I, I forget the name, the, the term. There's like three words and it's like, you know, the cost and reward, right? And so there's three things. Oh yeah, they want to reduce the negative arousal that one gets when they observe something. So the stronger, there's three reasons why they would do, they would take action. As one is they want to reduce the negative arousal because they have a strong attachment to something. So, you know, 
everybody's heard of the term tree hugger. And so that tree hugger will have a strong negative arousal, a strong attachment to the earth and doing everything they can. So, you know, naturally they're going to take action. Two is when there's a life or death situation. And I think that those people that you mentioned earlier that you probably respond to fear-based motivation, you know, maybe that's why that's something that they would respond to. And then the third is, and this is probably the majority of people, is that when the cost is low and the reward is high, people act. But when even it's balanced, where the cost is equivalent to the reward, people do a cost-benefit analysis and they're like, "Mm, basically, I don't gain anything by doing this. So why spend it? Why waste my time? If I do nothing, you know, to me, I'll have the same amount of achievement or feeling uh, or reduction of negative arousal for X topic or X situation. And so I don't think people understand how low of a cost is to do just one thing and how the long-term reward uh, comes back around to them. Again, it's like, it's back to that karmatic effect where the value that I've been putting in for years over a decade in other people's lives is, in my opinion, really starting to come back to me. It's come back to me since before this, right? But people have a hard time understanding that cost that people put up today for a reward that seems so minuscule down the line. And you can relate to this. I always relate to this. I know when I'm, you know, working out what I'm, selling and negotiating contracts when I can pull people out of a quarterly or 90-day mindset, right? Then the cost within this 90 days seems so much lower when I can get their attention and perspective on the lifetime. I like, how you talk, I like how you're talking about these changes that a couple of months ago, you hadn't even made your first change in every environment. So now you're like a pro. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about a pro. Maybe I'm a, you know, a, uh, yeah, I'm a competitive amateur. I think the message is that it doesn't take much to get to where, I think a lot of people think, oh, do I have to learn all the science? I got to learn all this background and stuff. No, you don't have to learn all this because- You don't have to, you don't have to learn about that. Just get some bags and then pick them up and take them with you. (laughs) That's what I'm trying to get across is that we've been spending so long thinking the message has to come from scientists or from politicians or, and every time it goes through journalists, they all want to sensationalize it. But- that's like saying you got to know exactly how lung cancer works to know to not smoke. Right. You really have to know how alcohol affects your nervous system to know drinking, driving is better not to do. And right. that message I think has been missing. And that's, and what we need not, I think what's necessary is not more doom and gloom scenarios. Although it's important to know what the consequences are of, of business as usual, but more people doing what you're doing and making it apparent that the way I put it for myself, my life is better. By my standards, it's better. I think by anyone who goes through similar changes will find that their life is better too. And yes, like you feel like you failed. I felt like I failed many times. I wanted to give up many times, but sticking through is worth it. I'm getting out what I yes. And the more that I find it out, the more that I want to put into it. So I think too that the, uh, the environment is like this thing that we can't, we can't really quantify like how much our individual impact is making. And that brings the rewards like super low and that, that cost respectively super high. And it's like, how many people can we get to show up to our funeral? Right? Like no one will ever know how high that is, but you know, all we can see is the cost. And so we're investing, investing, investing and spending and spending and that cost, that cost. And the reward is something we will never, ever, ever truly know. 
Yeah, all uh, we know but, is that we didn't all die. And but maybe does that mean anyway. not worth living? Well, all we know is that we didn't all die, but that might have happened right. anyway. I mean, I guess some people say, well, what's the worst that happens if we act on this? Well, we'll have cleaner air and water and we'll have more solar and things like that. Like, how bad is it? How bad could it be? But some people don't, I don't know, if they don't feel it, they don't, it's not really tangible to them. I wanted to wrap up by asking if you had a message. I mean, a lot of what you just said was that, but uh, do you have a message for people who are listening? You know, it could be advice or just sharing what happened or I don't know. Is there like, can you tie things up of what you'd want to hear if you're listening to you? Yeah. You know, I think that the, uh, the world does go through cyclical environmental changes, right? Like we're probably aware of the ice age, even though we haven't experienced it. I think that people are aware of the concept of global warming, whether or not you know that we are experiencing it. And I think that the cost reward ratio can really come into perspective when we start to consider, you know, the earthquakes in Mexico, when we start to consider these humongous hurricanes, especially with someone myself having family in Houston and knowing that they could have died and people did die and that not just homes are destroyed, but people's works are destroyed and the economy is destroyed because what happens if a week after the hurricane goes away, your work environment was completely demolished and your employer has nowhere to bring you, has no no work for you to do. And if you can't see that cost that we're experiencing right now and the potential reward, the upside of doing something so simple as in getting a bag that's reusable, as in taking recyclables to the recycle bin, if you can't justify what we're experiencing right now and actively changing that with something so simple as what I just described, then you should get your pulse check. And uh, yeah. I'm distracted with that swimmer. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, you know, I think that's what I want to say is that, you know, please, please stop thinking about how inconvenient this is and start thinking about the long-term rewards that we might be able to experience in the future because we're definitely experiencing a elevated negative right now. To me, the key word there was reward. You know, we're experiencing stuff that ha- from people who are doing stuff long before we were born. We didn't ask for this, but it's here. We can't change the past, but we can make something incredible of it. Yeah. You know, I think to bring it home too is like, you know, I'm not mad at my grandmother for smoking and drinking throughout all of her pregnancies, three of them, smoking and drinking. And she was a nurse and she was smoking and drinking throughout her pregnancies because she didn't know that that was wrong. That was bad. And just because the people before us didn't know that it was wrong or bad, or even the ones that do know today that are continuing to do it doesn't mean that that I can't actively, proactively exercise every day, that I can't make the decisions to eat right, that I can't make the decisions to not smoke and not excessively drink. I can proactively take control of my life today, regardless of what's come before me. And I implore you, I encourage you, I hope that you will join me in this battle of supporting our environment, despite what's happened in the past, because uh, what's better than that? is uh, what we can do right now to create a better future. Bam, I'm going to leave it right there. <laughs> I mean, that was a really powerful statement and it didn't take that much for you to get there. I'm going to leave it right there. And I'd like to wrap up and let the listeners get everything. So I guess you and I will probably connect again on personal stuff. Hopefully you'll be in New York soon. And Yeah, let's wrap when it's just us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not that I don't love everybody that's listening. And get to eat some food and uh, yes. break bread together. 
This is our third time. So I'm interested at some point you'll make some progress and let me know because then we'll probably do another recording at that point too. So people can hear what's happened next. I suspect that the bags will happen and that will not be the end of it. Yeah. I hope that if you guys don't hear a fourth recording, please hunt me down. I live in Phoenix, (laughs) Arizona. You know, I will expect a lynch mob to be coming after me if uh, you don't hear a fourth recording. So he's looking for accountability that I think that's leadership. That's when, when you know, something is something you want, you want accountability. I like that. All right. So we'll talk again soon. Thank you very much. And I look forward to hearing how the bags and what it comes next, what goes on there. Thanks for your continued leadership, Josh. I appreciate you. Thank you. Talk to you again soon. Bye. Bye. I love how he's taking on way more than he began with at the beginning and way more than I suggested. I didn't come up with a lot of things he's doing with the grocery stores and the bags. He did. He's not doing something he doesn't want. He's doing things based on his values, which makes his life better. You listening to this podcast tells me that you care about leadership, the environment, and both. You can create in your life as much leadership, as much community, as much passion, as much of the things that you care about as you want. The opportunity for greatness, love, community, and whatever you want is there if you start. I hope that as you listen to Tanner, that you think of the possibilities, that you think of the potential for leadership in the world at whatever level that you want. Tanner started with avoiding plastic and small little things. Yes, it led to less pollution, but the big picture is it developed him as a person, as a leader. He found as much potential as he wanted, and you can see that he's continuing to find more. I don't doubt that when he contacts me for episode four, that's going to be something big. I don't doubt that he'll find much bigger practices, maybe flying less, definitely leading more people and loving it. I hope one day that you, listener, will tell me about what you started and how it grows. What matters is doing and sustaining, not how big or small that you start, as long as you act on your values, but as long as you act and keep going. Did you feel inspired too? Then act. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and click to commit to your personal challenge so you can inspire others. Value means better and worse, and living by your values means living better by your values. You may struggle at first, but it's the hero's journey from living by others' values to living by yours. People say that little things add up. I won't argue against it, but what I find counts is acting. Doing something, anything, starts that mindset shift from the debilitating Others should act first or making excuses to the empowering, I can make a difference and living by my values improves my life. I don't have to wait for others to act first. I'm looking for leaders, people who will bring what works here in this podcast to communities I haven't reached. Billions of people want to change their behavior. There's room for leadership from personal leadership of just yourself to whatever scale you want. Start by acting and changing yourself. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and commit to your personal challenge.